0: so I've got a question how many in here is either working at a place or has worked in a place that you have to attend a meeting anybody how about kids you guys go to any meetings school meetings, band meetings I mean you stop and think about it every day you go to a meeting right? your class is really a meeting right and Have you ever went to a meeting to get ready for a meeting? Anybody relate? So I have a new boss as of about October of last year. And for Christmas, he got me a pair of socks. And the socks say, I love meetings about meetings. (laughs) I don't know what he was trying to say. And I'm in a role at work where I attend a lot of meetings. I probably now spend conservatively 70% of my time sitting in meetings for one thing or another. And a lot of times we're in meetings that are about meetings. Um, We've got a meeting coming up uh, in about two more weeks. Um, So my boss is the president of the company I work for. Well, my company's owned by a corporation called IDEX Corporation. So, of course, my boss has a boss at IDEX Corporation, and his boss actually lives over in Europe somewhere. Well, he's coming for a visit at the end of this, this month. So, of course, you know, you don't just, the boss doesn't just show up. you got to get ready for the boss showing up, right? So we're having meetings to make sure we're ready for the meeting. And that's not a bad thing, necessarily, but it got me thinking, and the title of my sermon tonight is The Meeting About the Meeting. So we're going to preach tonight about the meeting about the meeting. And I'll tell you, you're in the meeting right now about the meeting that we got to get ready for. And this will make more sense in a minute. If you've got your Bibles, uh, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. And also put your finger in Matthew twenty-four, chapter twenty-four, verse thirty-six. We'll we'll come to Matthew in a little bit. But as I as as we're preparing for uh, my boss's boss's name's Neil, as we're appro- as we're getting ready for Neil's visit. You know there's some things that, that we're getting ready. one is there's throughout he's going to be there for a day and a half, and so throughout the day and a half there's going to be different meetings, different activities. obviously he's coming to see what the, what's going on at the plant and so there's a lot of preparation going getting ready for his meeting and you know there's some people that are involved in the preparation that won't be involved in the meetings themselves because you know we have roughly 300 employees at Banjo Corporation. Some of them work second shift. Some of them work third shift. Uh, You know, there's 200 or so that are on days. Um, Not all 200 or 200 people are going to be in the meeting with the boss, with Neil. But there's some of them that are involved in getting the information to present to him. Uh, They're they're involved in the prep work, but they're not going to be involved in the meeting itself. So. That'll make sense in a minute, too. Just, I want you to get this picture of preparing for something, this important meeting that's coming up, because we actually have an important meeting coming up that hopefully everybody in here will be attending, but it's possible that there might be somebody that's not. So, with all of that said, if you're willing and able, we're going to take a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, and if you're willing and able and willing to stand with me for the honoring of God's Word, we'll read... Uh, down through verse 18, and I'll tell you, with pastors has started the Revelation series, this uh, kind of goes along with that, but by no means, are I don't, not even, yeah, we'll be in Revelations for a, for a, for a few seconds, maybe, but uh, I thought this went well with what pastors have uh, been preaching on in the series that he's working through, and, and I really felt that this was what God would have for us this evening, so 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, the Bible says, Uh, And, of course, this is Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica. He's uh, giving them a bunch of wisdom. And he says in verse 13, he says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, notice that word brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray as we take a look at this, Lord, I pray that you would just um, give me each and every word to speak. I pray that your word would go out with power and might, Lord. I pray that through this message, people would be encouraged and comforted, Lord God. I pray that through this message, if there's anybody in here tonight that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that they'd recognize their need for salvation. And that tonight would be the night that they would come to know you and accept you as their Savior. Lord, I do pray that uh, you would just uh, move through this time. I ask all this in Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. So, if you notice in the passage, it says that we shall meet the Lord in the air. Sounds like a meeting to me. And if you stop and think about it, we're in a meeting right now. And so, our meeting tonight is about the meeting that's going to happen in the air at some point in time. Now. The first thing, and as we think about getting prepared for a meeting, one of the things that you've got to plan for is who's going to actually attend the meeting. Because you've got to have enough space, and you've got to be prepared, and we've got to know who's going to be there, right? So for our meeting in the air, who's going to be at the meeting? Well, the Scriptures told us, if you take a look at verse 13, Paul says, he says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. So who's he speaking to? The brethren. so And he talks, if you go down and look, and he says, um, them which sleep in the Lord, God will bring with him. And he says, we which are alive will be caught up. So it's the brethren are the ones that are going to be at the meeting. And so we're going to look in a minute about what qualifies as brethren. But I want you to notice verse 14. He says, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So I want to kind of get this picture, and as we paint this meeting that's going to happen in the air, we see that um, Jesus is coming back, and he's bringing those that are dead in Christ with him. Because we know that Paul told us that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We know that when we die, if we were to die today, that we get to go to be with Christ. But when Christ comes back to take home the church, to take home the brethren, the the, the ones that have already went on are going to come back with him. And I don't understand all this, but if you look back down at verse 16, it says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So, again, I'm not an expert, don't understand it, but our soul, our spirit's going to come back with the Lord. Of course, our bodies are here, right? These earthly bodies. And so our earthly body, if we're dead and in the ground, or wherever our body ends up, is going to come up and resurrect, and it's going to meet our spirit, and we're gonna, they're going to meet up in the air. And then the Bible says that we that are alive... We're going to be caught up in the sky with them. So there's going to be this great big reunion of people meeting in the sky. And, you know, I I got thinking about this. Imagine this. All the brethren, past and present, are going to meet in the sky. Now, I got thinking about that. Right now, they estimate the population of the world to be about 8 billion people. All right, that's a lot of people. Let's say that just a tenth of those are saved. Now, that in itself is a sad thought. But, and I have no idea what the actual percentage is. It's just a number for our illustration. But I'm guessing it's probably not far off. I mean, even we live in a society, a country that's supposed to be a quote-unquote Christian nation, but if you look at, I mean, how many people actually go to church anymore? How many people actually believe? How many people actually show signs? And this is a country that's supposed to be a Christian country, right? And you've got all these other nations around the world. So that's sad in itself. But let's just say that 10% of the world population is saved. They're the brethren. So that means there's 800 million people. That's that 10%. So 800 million people. Now, I have no idea how many dead are in Christ are already waiting, but we're just talking about the ones that are alive today. Eight hundred million people. Now, to try to get an idea of that, I thought, well, let's let's bring that down because anybody picture eight hundred million people? I can't, right? All right. So I thought, okay, well, let's take a stadium. And what's a what's a big stadium? Well, there's there's a stadium over in um, North Korea that's supposed to hold 150,000 people. Mm. So then I looked. So the Michigan football stadium holds 107,000 people. If we took the 800 million people and put them in in stadiums the size of the Michigan football stadium, it would take 7,435 stadiums to fill all the people, to get seats for everybody. Can you imagine that? 7,000 stadiums to seat everybody. Now, a little closer to home, anybody been to Lucas Oil Stadium? It only seats 70,000. It would take almost 12,000 Lucas Oil stadiums to put the 800 million people in. That's a lot of people. Now, picture, we're talking about this meeting in the air. There's gonna be 800 million people meeting Christ in the air plus all the ones that I've already gone before. Isn't that exciting? I mean, you stop and think about it. It's To me, the sad part is it's only 10% of the the population. Now, so we know the brethren are going to be there, but then my next question is, and just thinking a little bit about it, because it says the brethren, well, how do we become one of the brethren? And I know I'm speaking to a Sunday night crowd, but there might be somebody out there that doesn't know. And I thought, well, you know, first of all, to be brethren, you kind of have to be related, right, for the most part? I mean, you know, a lot of times we say, hey, brother, to somebody that we don't know, but we don't know if they're related or not, right? Typically, when we think think of brethren, we think of brothers and sisters, maybe aunts and uncles, maybe cousins, you know, that Second cousin, once removed, lives on the other side of town. They're brethren, right? Or you go to the um, uh, reunion. Anybody go to reunions anymore? Karen does. Not very many anymore, right? I remember when I was a kid, we used to go to reunions, Don and, and Gwen do. We used to go to reunions on, the, I think it was the Sheik side of the family. Well, that's like my dad's, grandmother's side of the family, and you didn't really know them. But they were still brethren. They were still related somehow. So here we have Paul's writing to the brethren. And I'm pretty sure he wasn't related to everybody at Thessalonica, at least by blood. So why were they brethren? Well, because they were part of a family. Our Christian family. So 1 John 1.12 tells us, says, But as many as received him, talking about Jesus, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Well, if we can become the sons and daughters of God, we through adoption, doesn't that make us brethren? Adopted brethren, right? So that's why we're brethren. Romans eight twelve through 17 says, "'Wherefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live.'" For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the Spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the Spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness to our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. We become brethren because of our relationship that we have with God, because God accepts us into his family. He adopts us into his family. You know, here we just read, we become joint heirs with Christ. Can you imagine that? If you were in Sunday school this morning, you know, we talked about stewardship of the earth and the Lord owns it all. And yet, here we are, get to be joint heirs with Christ. Galatians three twenty one through 29 says, it says, if ye be Christ, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And if we were to back up and look at it, it's not because of the law, right? If we, if, if we had to be saved, if we had to join the family of God through the law, none of us would make it, right? But it's only because of the faith that in, our, in, what, in what Christ did for us that we become part of the family. Titus 3, 4 through 7 says, um, But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness. It wasn't our works, right? It wasn't what we did is what he did on the cross for us, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Ephesians 2.8.9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And Romans 10 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We become brethren because of the faith that we put in Jesus Christ. We get to attend the meeting in the air because of the faith, because we become the brethren, because we become saved, because we believe Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for us. So, who gets to go to the meeting in the air? The brethren. Those that have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Those that have put their faith and trust in him. Those that have believed in what he did on the cross. Or even think about Old Testament times. They looked forward to the cross and what he did on the cross. Abraham, it was accounted unto him for righteousness because of the faith, because of the promise, because he looked forward to it. Stop and think about it. All of those people that have put their faith and trust, they're going to be at the meeting in the air. Isn't that going to be exciting? Now, when is this meeting time? If we're going to prepare for it, I mean, I know my the boss's boss, Neil, is going to be there on February 15th at 9 o'clock. So when's Christ coming back? Anybody know? Anybody? Anybody? We don't know, do we? Matthew 24, if you've got your Bible, hopefully you've marked it, flip over to Matthew 24. And if we look, there's several times here that Jesus tells us, verse 36 says, but of that day and hour knoweth no man, know not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Verse 24 says, Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. Now, we don't know when Jesus is exactly coming back, and this message really isn't about all of that part of it. I mean, Jesus, in this um, called the Olivet Discourse, talks a lot about the coming kingdom, and he talks about um, that it will be like the days of Noah, where they were preparing for the ark. And Noah, Noah knew something was coming. He knew the worldwide flood was coming. He was preparing the ark for 120 years or however long it was. And he told all the people, and he was, the Bible says that he was a preacher of righteousness. But they didn't know the day. They didn't know until God finally said, okay, Noah, get in, I'm shutting the door. Well, we don't know when the meeting in the air is going to happen, but we do know the days are approaching if we take a look at verses 3 through 8 of chapter 24, the Bible says, And he sat upon the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us when shall these things be, and of what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines, and pestilence, and earthquakes, in diverse places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. God says, I'm not going to tell you when it is, but he said there are some signs. You can see that, the, and, and we know we, through prophecy of the scriptures, that there is nothing left to happen prophetically that has to happen for Christ to come back. It's imminent. It could happen tonight. We don't know. It could happen tomorrow. We don't know. But we do know that it's a day closer than it was yesterday, and tomorrow will be another day closer. And the thing is, is that we need to be prepared for it. So we don't know the time, but we do know the signs. But one of the things that's interesting is so Jesus said here, he said, take heed that no man deceive you. And I believe one of the reasons why Paul was writing to the Thessalonians was there was rumors going around that they had missed it. But how do we know when it's going to happen? I mean, how do, how do we know that this is it? How do we know this is the time? Well, I think it's, it's if we look in the scriptures, there's, there's three things there that tell us. Verse 16, it says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. So there's going to be a shout. Don't know where the shout's coming from. Don't know if it's the Lord, don't know if it's the angels. But we know there's a shout. And it says with the voice of the archangel. So there's it says with a shout, there's going to be a shout. There's going to be the voice of the archangel. And then with the trump of God. So when the when we hear the trump of God, the Bible says the dead's going to rise first. And then we which are alive, are going to re, that we remain, are going to be caught up together with Him in the air. Isn't that exciting to stop and think about the fact that we're going to get to meet Jesus? And that leads me to my next point. is So, we don't know exactly when, but we do know what the signs of it are. We know where it's going to be at. It's going to be in the air. So, what's this meeting going to be about? What's the agenda for this meeting? What's the purpose of this meeting? Well, you know, obviously I think verse 17 it says for we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Well, I mean I think that's a pretty good agenda. So on the on the 15th of this March this month I get to meet my boss my boss's boss for the first time. It's kind of exciting. But here we get to go and meet the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We get to meet our savior. We get to meet our friend. We get to meet the person that loved us so much that he was willing to die on the cross. He loved us so much that he was willing to leave the Father and the Holy Ghost and be separated from him for a short time so that we could spend all of eternity with him. This is the person, the man, the God that we get to meet in the meeting in the air. Now, there's some other things that are going to happen though. It's not just about meeting Jesus. If it was just about meeting Jesus, then that would be awesome. But it's not just about meeting. It's, it's, notice it says, we shall be ever with the Lord. We're gonna, From that point on, we're going to ever be with the Lord. And I don't totally understand how all that works, especially when you see some of the other things that are going to be going on at this meeting. So in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50 through 58... Paul gives some more detail about the, I'm going to call it the rapture. He says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, notice at the last trump. Now what's the sign of Jesus coming? The shout. The shout. The voice of the archangel and what? A trump. So this falls right in line. It says, that that last trump, for the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed, for this corruption must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruption shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, "'Death is swallowed up in victory.'" O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain. See, at that meeting in the air, we're going to be changed. This mortal body that hurts and aches and pains and fails us, It's going to be changed into immortality, changed into incorruption. We're going to have a body that will endure for all of eternity going forward. What else are we going to get at this meeting? Matthew 16, 27 says, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then shall reward every man according to his works. We know that at some point we're going to have to stand and give an account to Christ. Christ. And we're going to be rewarded for the things that we've done in our bodies. Now, the Bible talks about, I think it's six different crowns. And we're not, again, it's not a message about the crowns. But we have the opportunity to earn crowns, rewards in heaven. God's going to, there's going to be this award ceremony where our works are tried and the works that remain, we're going to get rewarded for them. That's going to happen after the, you know, after we meet Christ in the air, right? We're going to have to give an account of ourselves, Romans 14.10 says, But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. And that every one of us, as the saved, we stand before one judgment seat. As an unstaved, we stand before the white throne of judgment. And don't, it's not, it's not both, it's one or the other. Either one, you're just, you're not judged for your sin, because if you're saved, Christ paid for your sins and it's covered. You're not standing for your sins. If you're unsaved, you will stand before the white judgment throne, the white, the white throne of judgment and be judged for your sins and all that you've done. Now, if you're a brethren, you're not going to stand before this one, you're going to stand over here and you're going to get rewarded for those things that, that remain So we'll give an account. And then Revelations 20, so this is the one place we pop the Revelations. Revelations 20, verse 6 says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. That's what we're talking about. If you talk about the brethren are going to resurrect up, that's the first resurrection. And then at the end of the the thousand-year millennial reign after Armageddon and after uh, the devil's put back in, That's when the white judgment seat of throne happens. The the white throne judgment happens. And that's where the dead, the unsaved dead, are going to have to be resurrected to stand before Christ and give an account. That's the second resurrection. That's the one you don't want to be a part of. You want to be part of the first resurrection where we meet him in the air. (laughs) It says, um, uh, where was that? Oh, yeah. Blessed is he that hath part in the first resurrection, on such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So the thing of it is, is, as the brethren, as we prove ourselves now, God's going to reward us with positions to reign with him on the new earth. Not the new earth, the thousand year reign of this earth and then later on the new earth. But God's going to, notice in verse Revelation. Revelations 5, verse 8, it says, And when he had taken the book and the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints, and they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nations, and hath noticed and hath made us unto our God Kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. See, God's got more work for us to do. And as we rapture up and we get to meet Him, after that, the Bible says we're forever with the Lord. That meeting's gonna go on for a long time. And we're gonna have a lot of things to do. And again, I don't understand all of it, and I don't claim to understand all of it, and I don't think any of us will ever understand it until it actually happens. But we do know some things. We do know that there's a meeting in the air. And that we need to get prepared for it. We know that when that meeting happens, there's a lot of things that are, that are going to take place. And so we've seen who's going to be at the meeting. We've seen the time. We don't know the time. But we know the signs of the time. And we know what's gonna, where it's going to happen. It's going to happen in the air. And we know what this agenda of the meeting is all about. And so the last thing is, is how do we prepare for the meeting? Everybody want to be at the meeting? We want to be at the meeting, right? So how do we prepare for it? What can we do? So if you're in Matthew 24, verses 42 through 44, and I lost my place, so I'm going to have to find it again. Matthew, 20, chapter 24, verses 42, the Bible says, Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come we don't know when he's coming but know this that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come he would have watched and would have not suffered his house to be broken up therefore be ye also ready for in such an hour as ye think not the son of man cometh so God tells us he's going to come like a thief in the night he says if the strong man would have known when the thief was coming he would have been waiting for him and not let him break into his house and steal it right We need to be ready, we need to be vigilant, we need to be watching for the Lord's return. But what do we need to do? What do we need to be ready for? The first and most important one is, make sure you're part of the brethren. Because just like I said, for the meeting at work, there are people that are going to get ready. There are people that are going to prepare for the meeting, but they're not going to be part of the meeting. And we know the Lord told us that He said there are going to be some that stand in those days and say, what about me, Lord? And he's going to say, Depart from me, for I never knew you. There's going to be some that have said, We prophesied in thy name, Lord. We did miracles. We told others about you. But he said, I never knew you. You were never one of the brethren. Depart from me. Don't be that person. Don't be that person that Well, I lived my whole life in church, but I never really knew him. I guarantee you, throughout our country... There are going to be a lot of people in that state that have been sold a lie because they were told that it was their works that got them to heaven or their baptism or their church membership or it's because they were confirmed. and somebody, somebody told you you were okay, but that's not okay. There's only one way we get to heaven. There's only one way, and that's through our faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us, and it's our belief. And the thing of it is, is it's not just belief, it's that confession we have to confess and ask Jesus Christ to be our Savior. The devil believes. I've been out soul winning and knocked and talked to people that they said, oh, I believe it's true, but I'm not willing to, to receive it yet. So sad. Uh, one of the leaders, when, when, uh, well, when talking to Paul, he said, that almost persuaded me to be a Christian. They believed, but they weren't willing to accept it. They weren't willing to put their faith in what Jesus did on the cross. There are many people that are going to, on that day, they're not going to, you know, stop and think about that day when the church raptures up. Like, and you stop and think about it. If a tenth of the world disappeared, 800 million people, the chaos, right? And all of a sudden you're like, where did half my church members go? Why are we still here? It's because they weren't part of the brethren. They weren't ready. They weren't ready for the rapture. Don't be that person. Romans 10 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Make sure of your salvation. Only you and God know whether or not you're saved. Be sure of your salvation. So that's the most important thing that we can do to prepare for the, the meeting in the air is to make sure that we're the brother. The second thing is to tell others about the meeting. You know, there isn't anything that you can take with you but you can convince others to come with you. You know, I used to say that the only thing that you can take with you is other Christians, but you really can't take them. It's not like I can grab hold of my friend and and say, hey, you're going with me. I, I, I can't take them. I can convince them to come along, but I can't take them with me. I can convince them that they need to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, and God will take them, but I can't. I can't take anything with me. I can convince others. I can tell them about Jesus, what he did on the cross. I can show them how much he loves them. But that's all I can do. They have to accept it for themselves. We can't take, but we can convince. We can tell others about what's going on. We can tell other people about what's what's coming. And then the other thing that we can do, as we talked about in Sunday school, we're co laborers with him, we're stewards here on the earth we can be vigilant and looking and doing the work that God's called us to do. God's given each one of us, if we're saved or if we're Christians, He's given each one of us a calling. He's given us responsibilities that we're we're the steward over. And how are we managing that? You know, if you stop and think about when Christ comes back, if, if you had a field to plant and take care of, and you had neglected planting it, and you had neglected the weeds, and you had neglected the harvest, and Christ returned, would you be proud of the work that you had done? No. Neither would, he'd he'd judge you for it. But this is the time where we have the opportunity to do what God has called us to do. And he's, he's called us to be faithful. He's called us, you know, we talked in Sunday school again, we that are married, we have a marriage that we're supposed to take care of. If we have kids, we have kids that we're supposed to take care of. If we have a home, we have a home to take care of. If we have siblings, those relationships around us, we have to manage those and take care of those relationships. God's got something for each of us to do. We got friends that we're supposed to to be a witness to. God's called all of us to be a witness. How would you you like it if, if you weren't saved and your neighbor, your best friend lived next door to you, and your best friend was saved and they've never once told you about Jesus and about what he did on the cross and then you woke up one morning and found out that your best friend was gone and somehow you found through the bible and you found that hey there was this thing called a rapture this this meeting in the air he never once told me about it he didn't really like me he would have told me about it if he if he knew if he truly believed How would you feel if you were on the other side of that? Wouldn't that be awful to know that your supposed best friend knew and never once told you about it? It would kind of be like, an example would be like if if I knew how to get a million dollars and all you had to do was go down to this certain house and knock on the door and say, I'd love to have a million dollars, and I never told you? No strings attached? All you had to do was believe that you had to go to the door and knock open and open and you got it? And I didn't tell you? Would you think I was your friend? And I mean, the thing is, it's an unlimited million of dollars, right? Because God is the owner of the cattle on a thousand hills. It's not only a certain number of people are going to get to go to heaven. God desires that none perish. And he, His blood was sufficient for all of mankind. His blood was able payment for all but not all are going to accept it. Not all are going to take advantage of it. The funds are there, but the redemption is not because they chose not. Now, Brother Brian, I get a lot of advice from Brother Brian. He's a good man. He told me when you preach, three points and a poem. So I took my three points, broke them down into a bunch of subpoints. points. No, I'm teasing. I got two poems I want to read. So I did two poems because, you know, just want to be an overachiever. But I want to close with two poems. And I was, I was thinking about it as just how to wrap this up. And I, I got online and I googled poems about the rapture. And I actually found, a, a I don't know a lot about this lady, but she's got some nice poems. These two poems are written by a lady by the name of Deborah Ann Belka. And she gives... Uh, they're copyrighted, but she gives permission as long as you give her credit and you give the passages that she was inspired by the poems. So I'm going to read the poem and then the scripture that inspired her. And the name of the first one is called "If I Meet Jesus Today." Again, by Deborah Ann Belka it says, and I'm no poet, so you have to you'll have to forgive me. It says. If I meet Jesus today and my life here were to end, I would be so excited to meet my eternal friend. I would run up to him and look into his loving face. I'd tell him thank you for his saving, amazing grace. I'd drop down on my knees and worship my eternal king. I'd shout hallelujah as my praises to him I sing. I would leap and jump around with joy, happiness, and glee And thank him for preparing a room in heaven just for me. If I were to meet Jesus today and I were to see my eternal friend, I know that I would be in paradise and my bliss would never end. The two passages that she used was John 14, 2, in my father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And then first Thessalonians four, sixteen and seventeen, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. The other poem is called Hold on Fast. It says Hold on fast, never give up, from your hope do not sever. Don't let anyone take from you the crown that is to you due. Hold on fast, don't you release your grip on eternal peace. Don't let anything drag you away from the truth. Do not go astray. Hold on fast, don't you let go. Jesus is coming before you know. And Revelations 3.11 says, Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast for which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for your word thank you for the truth lord i thank you for the opportunity that you gave for us to meet here tonight that we could have this meeting to be prepared for the meeting to meet you in the air that day and lord we know that you told us that you go to prepare a place for us and we're so thankful for that lord god and lord i don't know what is preventing you from coming back lord maybe you're waiting for one more person to come to know you Maybe you're busy preparing those places and you're just not ready for us yet. Lord, I'd like to think that it's the fact that uh, you want to give somebody else the opportunity to know you as Lord and Savior. Because, Lord, once that day that you come, it's not that others won't receive you, but it's going to be a lot harder. Lord God, I'm so thankful for the grace that you showed upon us and the mercy that you give to us each and every day. Lord, I pray that for those that are here that are saved, that do know you as Lord and Savior, I pray, Lord, that when you return, you'd help each one of us to be found faithful, serving you in our place, doing your will, Lord God. Lord, if there's any here tonight that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray tonight would be the night that they recognize the need of salvation, to recognize that they're not going to spend all of eternity with you unless they accept you as Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray that you would encourage them. I pray that you would work. Lord, ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.